0: So, hello, Romaniac subscribers. As usual, the minute we pressed stop on this week's uh, show, crazy things began to happen and we thought we can't leave them for a whole week. So, I'm Andrew Harrison, I'm the producer, and with me is Ian Dunt, and we've decided to come and do uh, an impromptu show. We are literally in a park, aren't we, Ian? <laughs> this is, confidence is a preference, <laughs> park life. We it, did try a pub, but it was a bit too noisy. Yes, but, yeah. so no, no more podcasting. Podcast because it's summer uh, there are three things that happened um, after we uh, finished recording on Wednesday was Boris Johnson going off the reservation again was Paul Dacre resigning from the NSVP of the Daily Mail on a Thursday thanks for that Paul uh, just when we can't talk about it and there was the, the uh, Theresa May versus David Davis uh, kind of confrontation over the, um, the backstop the customs backstop let's talk about the first one let's talk about Boris Johnson the leak at the Institute of Directors, even by his standards, this was all out screw you Sackney stuff, wasn't it?
1: It was. And you can't help but feel that he sort of would expect it to be leaked. I mean, you know, you're talking in this way with quite candid to a lot of people. So you you would presume, and I would presume especially given the way that he operates, that he was expecting this to take place. And it's all part of his attempt to sort of, you know, portray himself as the great big defender of Brexit and blah, 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 which is, of course, ironic because he's one of the least strenuous believers in it of all the people that campaign for it but nevertheless literally to the point of writing the two pieces but nevertheless that's the way he portrayed himself I thought it was quite helpful for um for a and that by the time that he starts talking about meltdown, you know there's going to be a meltdown. Right? You think it's, it's very hard to stop yourself from just going like, "Wow, it's interesting to compare this with your rhetoric during the campaign, Mr. Johnson." And if
0: the listeners yeah. listen closely, they can hear a London mob pursuing Boris Johnson to burn him at the stake, They're literally <laughs> out chasing him with flaming, <laughs> flaming pitchforks. Just to just to break it down, what's the things that occurred in this, this strange leak? He mocked the government's Brexit strategy. He called Europe the enemy. Oh, he said he'd prefer it if Donald Trump was running Brexit. Mm. is he just positioning himself for some kind of post-politics career here is he sort of doing a farage just kind of insinuating himself into the affections of the Trumpo sphere? because it's so insolent towards his own Prime Minister mm. even by his standards
1: it's just we always find ourselves wrapped up in sort of psychological evaluation because it's so easy to do right? it's easy to do it with, uh, with Corbyn it's easy to do it with May because she gives so little away the whole like is she an idiot or is she very very cynical and blah 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 with Johnson, you have to sort of go for a bit of both. And of course, someone is not just cynical and instinctive. Someone can be both at the same time. And I suspect that some of that Trump stuff is just him blabbering on in the moment when he can't control himself. And yet that doesn't mean that there isn't a strategy behind what he is doing. Trump acts, to me, as this really useful litmus test of next level insanity among Brexiters, (laughs) because it has to be said that I'd say about two thirds of Brexiters, the prominent ones, still reject Trump. And they're yeah. the ones that you sort of feel like, you know, we can still do business yeah. together, so, you know. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah, you're still alive. Even Michael Howard, you know, monstrous vampire that he is, still when he's on the Today programme today, which was still, well, I mean, what other day would it be, was yeah. still actually going like, well, no, actually, I draw the line at, at the Trump thing. Yes. I don't think that's a very good a place to go. I'm a reasonable Dracula. Yes, indeed. Unlike, you know, a few other figures, you know, the sort of West Monsters and the Breitbarts and the people that are really off their rockers, and, and, I, and I would suggest, you know, probably more alt-right than they are traditional right. Yeah. So that was a useful indication of where Johnson will go. There is literally no place that this man won't go if it increases his chances of becoming prime minister in the end. But
0: does he, does he really want to be prime minister now, considering the flaming bowl of shit that he would inherit?
1: No, but it's impossible that he stamps his brand now in order to position himself for after March 2019.
0: Right, OK. I mean, the incredible quote which you alluded to earlier on You've got to face the fact that there may now be a meltdown, OK? I don't want anybody to panic during the meltdown. <laughs> no panic. Pro bono publico. No bloody panic. It's all going to be all right in the end. It's, it's the Latin that really makes that a punchable. You've got to get Latin in, haven't you? We've gone from sunny uplands that the, there will be a meltdown.
1: Um, but for I, them to be talking this way is an important thing. I mean, they are unable to hide... The, the, the fundamentally negative character of the project that they're engaged in. Yeah. The same with Theresa May's letter to MPs, uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit on, on the sort of backstop on Customs Union. It's her calling, her using relentlessly negative language of like, this is like the least bad thing I can go for at the moment. We are so far away, and how long has it been since any of them said anything remotely positive about what they wanted? They don't even really bother saying anything positive about the future trade deals, which are all a mirage of nonsense anyway. Yeah, yeah. But even that has gone. So. It is telling that these are the, this is the kind of language that he uses, and I think ultimately quite beneficial for us.
0: Um, moving on to another one of our favourites. Paul Dacre resigns on a Thursday.
1: This is literally. <laughs> that sounds at like the beginning of a rhyme. Yeah, yeah,
0: it's literally the only thing these guys can organise, isn't it? Doing stuff on a Thursday when, <laughs> when we're not recording. My question to you, Ian: could, Would there, could there have been a Brexit without Dacre?
1: Yeah, I think there probably could have. You know, the, th- the weird thing with the media is people, people always like to have an opinion of the media forms everything, which is this sort of almost old Marxist opinion. You hear it a lot on the liberal left, of basically going, you know, it would all be a lovely socialist utopia if it wasn't for all the nasty media barons. Or the other one, which you usually get from the media, of, oh, nothing to do with us, we don't do anything, <laughs> you know, or we just reflect yeah. what people happen to think. Yeah. Now, the truth is, obviously, I mean, a, a child could tell, you know, it is a bit of both. I mean, that is plainly the case. I think in this case, he was he had an uncanny intuitive assessment of the various paranoias of the English sort of uh, lower middle classes really. And he understands it in terms of property, he understands it in terms of health, as much as he understands it on sort of social and economic sort of questions. And that general sense that a lot of sort of British people have of someone somewhere is trying to fuck me over. You know, and like someone someone's getting an easy ride on my work. Now he got that and of course he could speak to it, but also he instinctively reflected it. Dacre, for a long time, was actually pretty ambivalent about the EU. He had to be convinced into, being, uh, into showing more opposition to it. I'm talking you know, a decade uh, or yeah. more ago, into, be, into showing more opposition. Now, where he was right then, I mean, I would have thought anyone that was picking up the mail, regardless of its policy on it, was going to vote for Brexit. You know, this is it's yeah. not the kind of paper that was going to have it. And I don't think that him putting out a couple of front pages about judges or about Theresa May firm or anything else or Speak for England or any of that nonsense turned the tides of this thing. Ultimately, they would have gone there anyway. But that does not mean that it's not useful that he's gone. It's very, very useful that he's gone. Not least because the paper is now going to be run by the former editor of the Med on Sunday, mm-hmm. who's a Remainer. But mostly, because I don't expect a massive shift in its editorial policy, it'll be ultimately that those Brexit attacks are blunted. That you won't have that savage, sort of really cutting Brexit attack, for instance, on judges. And in the mornings, when Theresa May sits there and looks for her reactionary lodestar of what is the mail saying, what is ultimately Dacre saying, that part has gone. It's been clouded over. And that could prove to be very important, not just for Brexit, but for a whole wealth of other issues like drug reform, etc.
0: It's interesting, actually, that uh, we've been cheering in the background. Paul has gone. Young people are cheering. Children are dancing in the streets. Is there still jam for tea? Yes. Um, It's interesting that uh, Geordie Grieg, uh, his proper posh chap, will be reporting to the Rothermere's. Mm. We're led to believe he won't be reporting to Dacre and then the Rothermere's. This is interesting because mm. we've also been led to believe that one of the reasons for the change is that the Rothermere social circle, and particularly Lady Rothermere's social circle, could no longer tolerate the decorisms of the male than, as you say, the naked hatred, the deliberate staring of uh, resentment and uh, you, know, the, you know, the search for victims, and particularly the trashing of the institutions of society, mm. the trashing of the, the judiciary the lords, the trashing of the press, the trashing of everybody who isn't a Brexiteer. So that the narrative is that he's going because the the is particularly Lady is just could not deal with it anymore.
1: What do you think he's left? So the... Maybe some truth to that, and I have no idea how much it's the case. It could be that this is the start of a bit of a resistance from conservative, actually conservative forces with a small c, but genuinely meaning that word, yeah. rather than the kind of Maoist interpretation of Toryism that is exposed <laughs> by people like you know, um, you know, Michael Gove, and, and obviously by, by Dacre himself. But I think there's also probably something else there, which was that a lot of people really didn't like him Mm. He was a very vicious, extremely aggressive guy. He's not dead, you
0: know. I know you're, we're talking to him like. Talk <laughs> yeah, but
1: we're not going to have to deal with him any ever again. But certainly, in terms of the, the manner in which he dealt with stuff at the mail, extremely swear. I mean, you know, there's these stories who get so head up as they were about to go to press, they'd be scratching his back so much that it sort of bleeding. So would just have this kind of like gorilla caked in blood, <laughs> screaming about, you know, with all these reactionary delusions. Um, nevertheless, he didn't actually have that many mates by the end of it. He didn't have that much defence by the end of it. So I think for the people that are slightly more genteel, much more polite, famously the problem is, are you know much more in that nature, mm. that I'm not sure that there was enough personal defence to protect him once those things started becoming a bit more complicated politically.
0: Do you think that from his point of view, he's had a moment of clarity and he has seen what what he has wrought, and like many people that we've seen in the world of the Brexiteers, has just decided to distance himself
1: that's the most optimistic thing I've ever heard you say. No, and I, I, can't, I can't imagine Paul Dacre ever having like a moment of real like an epiphany, you know, about the sort of toxic nature of his views and well, his conduct. you know
0: conduct. what, though? You, you say that, but there was the kind of epiphany about the Stephen Lawrence murder when, you know, speaking to, uh, you know, I think it was his gardener who had connections mm-hmm. with the Lawrence family, mm-hmm. that he, he changed... He changed over that. And the Mail did, to its credit, become a doughty prosecutor of the case against institutional racism and to keep pushing for the proper investigation. of so, so it can change.
1: That's right. But I, I would also suggest, if you look at the Mail, I mean, it's quite a, a unique beast. It has a very specific personality. And if you look at any copy of the Mail, I would suggest that about 5 to 10% of it will be causes that lefties and liberals can get on board with. So you'll see it, for instance, with Afghan interpreters uh, who were, you know, being welcomed into Britain after the war, who were in danger. You would find, I used to have a a friend who worked in immigration stuff, when they brought in um, the spousal visa benchmark, the £18,600 benchmark for you to bring your wife in. Hmm. The first way that he knew how to get a story into the mail about it was to say somewhere there's a squaddie who can't marry the the woman that he met overseas mm. because of this ben- because of this thing. And that's the way to get it yeah. in there. There was a sense of sort of fair play, yeah. which I, I do find kind of hypocritical and nonsensical, but it was always there, not just with Stephen Lawrence, but with other so factors too.
0: Somewhere there's a squaddie who can't marry the person they love. Plot twist, it's a bloke and a bloke. Chew on that one, <laughs> the mail. See how that one works out. Uh, I mean, nobody expects the paper to change because the editor is changing. I think uh, you know we both know one of the great myths of the media is that the media leads. Actually, the media follows. The media follows its readers. You well, know? I think a
1: bit of both. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But,
0: but far more the latter than people expect. Hmm. People expect it to be top-down, lightning bolts from Zeus, and actually editors sit with their heads in their hands, hoping that somehow they've got the readers right. So Geordie degree comes in, uh, a Remainer, are people like andrew adonis for instance who's been hymning this as a moment of national liberation are they getting a bit overexcited
1: yes and no so i don't think it'll fundamentally change it will still have the basic same attitudes that it does however so take something like uh, like drug reform okay like the sun changed on drug reform ages ago it started saying after a lot of actual work put into changing their mind on stuff starting to say look Why aren't you calling for a change on cannabis laws? And The Sun very carefully, in a series of sort of editorials, started shifting on it. The paper that would never shift was the Daily Mail, because Dacre fucking hates drugs. It's (laughs) not really in line with his sort of worldview. Now on that, that was the... the sort a big
0: cheer for that. They do.
1: They're big fans. Um, That was the great big heavy ball of gravity that kept drug policy where it wasn't and made it very, very hard to convince ministers otherwise. Now with someone else who is less... Obviously, representative of a certain kind of Englishman's view, actually Englishwoman, I think, because mm-hmm. frankly, it's, it's apparently more popular with women than it is with men. Um, it makes it rather easier. There's less of an obvious conduit of that sort of assess that part of the country into government. So just by the change of personality, it matters. But I think ultimately by the fact that they he would almost certainly have a less intuitive understanding of that segment of the population than David.
0: That's interesting. I not thought about that, the fact that, you know, Dacre is of those readers and Geordie Grieg really isn't.
1: mean, it's not like Dacre's actually of them because he's, he's actually much richer and, and, you know, has all of this stuff. Yeah, he is But then he gets them.
0: But he, you know, he gets them, yeah. He went to Leeds University where I went and, and edited mm. the student paper that I edited and it was kind of considered to be like the skeleton in the cupboard. You know, you know Dacre, you know, Dacre <laughs> did the paper. Really? Really? Sort of Nicholas Witchell of
1: all these people. <laughs>
0: anyway, it's it's Quentin Letts I feel sorry for after uh, Dacre leaving. He's going to be salacious crumb with no jab of the heart. So, uh, I, I,
1: I I'm I not going to join you in your Quentin Letts critique there because I rather like him uh, quite a bit. <laughs> well, we work in the same office, we get on rather well, so I, ca- I cannot join in the standard approach. There
0: you go, yeah. listeners, the, uh, the back-scratching London media. For They're all chomps. Clubbable, I
1: believe. It's he's just—he's actually quite nice. But okay, whatever, whatever. Yeah, whatever.
0: Um, <laughs> should we talk about uh, Theresa May versus David Davis? Because oh, you—you love this one this week, didn't you? The back—the backstop thing.
1: Backstop. I love all the backstop stuff because it's hideously complicated and grotesque. Yeah. And so... Kim, the
0: elevator pitch description of what happened this week.
1: Um, oh Christ, it's hard. Okay, so ultimately. Uh, she was trying to pass a backstop with no with a time limit on it. Now yeah. that is not a backstop by virtue the backstop of semantic being... truth. Backstop being, yes, fair enough to call me back. So the backstop is basically what happens if all of the Brexit dreams about maximum facilitation and customs partnership and blah 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 turn out to be a load of old nonsense. <laughs> Impossible to believe that such a thing could be true, of course. But nevertheless, if it is true, the backstop comes into play. And what the backstop does is it says you sign up on customs, you sign up on regulatory alignment, so there's no border in Ireland. What the government did was it put out a, a proposition, a response to the European proposition that has three problems in it. The first one was that it was going to have time. It's going to have a time limit, which means it's not a backstop. Second one is it was going to count for all of the UK rather than just Northern Ireland, which is not acceptable to Brussels, because it basically means that you've figured out all of your trading relationships as, as part of an annex, essentially, to an agreement. You wouldn't have signed up to the legal structures. You'd be able to undercut and basically take your pick of the single market and customs union. And the third part was that their response didn't mention regulations. Because regulations, of course, takes you right into single market territory and gets into really dangerous, you know, soft Brexit land. So they put it out. She didn't want to put it out with time, she knew it would be instantly rejected. David Davis had a massive hissy fit he mm-hmm. keeps on having these moments where he keeps on threatening to leave the job but the thing is you only ever really realise that he's in the fucking job when he threatens to leave it <laughs> the, the rest of the time there's no mention of the guy he never seems to be attending any of the meetings he never seems to be doing anything at all he seems criminally under brief whenever he appears in front of a commons committee so extraordinarily they go into the meeting he goes out he goes back in and then they end up with this almost gloriously preposterous bit of Brexit fudging which is to put a time limit in it with no time limit Beautiful. So, yeah, thank you, guys. It's almost,
0: it's almost science fiction. It's almost, it's almost kind of,
1: you know... It's like Brazil.
0: Yeah, it's kind of k stuff. It's like three-dimensional kind of thing. Four-dimensional,
1: five-dimensional. They write it themselves, basically, by the stage. It came yeah. out, it was, it's already, I mean, Barnier gave it a pretty short shrift uh, earlier today. I think they're going to really, really struggle with it. There is this, the backstop thing is like, These dominoes are just full and full and full. And they do ultimately take you to a soft Brexit place. And I think the government realises that. And that's their problem at the moment.
0: Christopher Hope of The Telegraph yesterday, Mm. Thursday, yesterday. Was tweeting that it was the darkest day yet for Brexiters,
1: and, and I think that's probably about right. I mean, if you look at the week, I mean, we talked in the podcast about where Labour's position gets them, and I think it, it's now become increasingly accepted. And the kind of things you hear from inside of Labour really strongly suggest this is not a party that he's going to vote for the deal when it comes back.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Then you start looking at what Boris Johnson was saying. You start looking at what Alan Duncan, his deputy, was saying about it's not crazy to have another referendum. You start looking at.
0: I mean, under other circumstances, we've done an hour show on that. (laughs) But here we are. Everything's on fire and falling to pieces. It's just another little thing.
1: Then there's the polling. I mean, some of the polling that came out yesterday was extraordinary. I mean, just saying 10% of the public think Brexit's going well. 70% of leavers think it is going badly. 73% Mm. of the general public. Really, really bad stuff. You're looking at YouGov polling. Yeah, I mean, that goes kind of all over the place, but there was still, at one point this week, a seven-point lead for Brexit was a bad idea, which is the largest lead it's had so far. It's not looking good for these guys at all. And then you start looking, what does that backstop really entail? If they start going into those negotiations on it, they're clearly not rejecting it outright. You, It's the first step on a road that I'd say has about 10 steps in it that ultimately get you to transition forever. And that means, I think, for, for sort of Remainers going into... This, this business end we're, we're in the meat of the business end right now that is a mixed metaphor and I apologise for it the meat of the business end the meat of the business end makes no fucking sense and I apologise for the fact <laughs> it came out of my mouth nevertheless <laughs> it's a horrible image if indeed it exists yeah. um, your best outcome of it being, the vote being rejected and there being a chance maybe through a referendum through other some kind of reversal is as good as it has ever been your act of Minimising your worst outcome Are Brexit happening and what does that entail Would it be hard Brexit, would it be no deal Brexit It's suddenly ending up looking a lot like transition forever You know, it's Friday afternoon I would say the most remainers If you're going out to the pub right now I think you can feel pretty fucking good about it And just think you've had a good week
0: That's pretty much what I'm going to do right now You mentioned that poll a minute ago uh, how, how hugely people have turned against Brexit as, as a good idea My favourite little bit of it Was I think it was a 4% chunk of the sample said they thought Brexit was going to be bad, but they think it's going really well. <laughs> and I want to meet these people. I want to meet these people. We should, put out,
1: we should put out, if they would come to the podcast, we would love to talk to them in an almost anthropological, scientific manner. Yeah, but just, <laughs> yeah what the in a non-judgmental manner.
0: I mean, because the your criteria for maybe they're Satanists or something or maybe they're kind of (laughs) they're kind of discordians or kind of catastrophists it's like Mm. it's going really badly that's what we want
1: maybe they're chaos theorists they're They're like Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park maybe they are maybe
0: maybe it's the KLF or somebody that that wants it all to end just to draw it all together by the way we were talking a minute ago uh, about uh, Dacre leaving he's actually going to still be there till November yeah so he's going to be there for the he's going to be there for the meat
1: of the business end in a big way. Well, this cannot be a thing that we keep on saying the meat of the business. You said end. it now. You can't say it. <laughs> okay, so um, so it's interesting if you look at the amendments that matter next week. I would yeah. say I think it's forty nine and seventy six. I think they are as the two the procedural ones and what happens with the vote when it comes back. Now the first it is forty nine, um, puts a date on when there has to be a parliamentary vote on that final deal, and okay. it's November thirtieth. Now, I can't imagine it happening before that. If that amendment passes, which I am expecting it to do, the, the government's counter-amendment didn't add up to much, and I can't imagine it convincing many Tories. That November period is there. So, yeah, he's into it, but he's not quite at the point where it's at its most important. <laughs> Pretty tight timetables that we're dealing with here, but nevertheless, yeah, yeah it's exactly at that spot, that October-November spot.
0: It could go two ways. It could either be, I've done my thing and I've based... It, it could be a lame duck dacre, a lame dacre. Or he could be demob happy, frenzy crazy. Yeah, we could see mail front pages that ma- that make enemy of the people, look like small beer, <laughs> like sort from of My Little Pony Weekly. <laughs> I'm sort of looking forward to. It.
1: Yeah, no, I've got to say, you said that, and it didn't actually seem unentertaining.
0: Well, yeah. there we go. Crisis on Infinite Brexit. <laughs> We've been sitting in a park. It's a lovely Friday afternoon. The suns are out. The sun. The suns are out. The sun is out. It smells of cut grass, and we're going to go for a pint.
1: Let's go get drunk.
0: Things are looking up, aren't they?
1: They are, they are. No, I think we might even do champagne.
0: Might even do champagne. Off we go. Brave (laughs) heart, Romaniacs. Brave heart.